Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, the podcast for product marketers and compete professionals looking to give their companies a competitive advantage. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today's episode was the first CE Live of 2023, and we talked about delivering win-loss insights to your executive team. Ben, we're hot off the press. I'm kind of humming a little bit. I had a coffee while recording, but nothing beats the thrill of a live podcast episode. Totally. People who answer their questions, they agree to come on camera. It adds such life to it and really reaffirms our war cry of this is not a webinar. And it just makes everything, makes the learning better, makes the the, the experience more fun. Um, you know, win loss month is going strong, Adam. We're really, we're really going for it this month and frankly throughout the year. And it's so much fun for me to see that other people are as excited about win loss as we are um, because it just makes, you know, the content we produce better. So I don't know. Great job. Thanks to everyone again for, for coming out asking your questions. It really does mean a lot and we appreciate it. Yeah, the community show up in full force and I'd be remiss to not even introduce the guests, the experts who join me. Uh, we had Robin Welfare, the research director at Double Check Research by Clue. Um, so she's an expert in all things win-loss, working with customers to uncover trends in terms of why they're winning and losing, and then delivering that in a, in a summarized format to their executive team. She's incredible at it. She goes into so many different examples. And then also Brandon Bedford, the man at Clue who uses Clue, the competitive enablement manager, co-host, might be taking my spot as host the way he kills it out there. Um, and also running win-loss with Robin at Clue. Also for listeners, we mentioned in the recording that uh, an accompanying template, a win-loss executive summary template. We'll add that in the show notes to this episode as well. Essentially, we've made a customizable template that you can use yourself um, to deliver your win-loss insights to your executives. It's follows the formula that the experts over at DoubleCheck use with all of their customers. And it really kind of helps you structure how you tell the story of all of the things you've learned from the win-loss research. So check that template too. If you hear about that in the recording, that's what we're referencing. Super relevant to the topic today. But with that all said, let's get into our first C Live of the year with Brandon and Robin. Okay, as folks come in here, I'll give you my spiel. I'm Adam over at Clue. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for our first CE Live of 2023. It's actually been a while. I feel like I haven't done one of these in a minute. So if there's a little bit of rust, don't judge me. First things first, if you've been to one of these before, welcome back. It's nice to see you again. And if it's your first time, then we're very excited to have you. And you need to know one thing, our mantra. This is not a webinar. This is not a webinar. This is not a webinar. It's a conversation amongst peers in the community. And honestly, what makes this thing my favorite day of the month every month is the participation, the engagement from folks in attendance really kind of makes the conversation 5, 10, 20 times better. So throughout this, don't feel like you need to be just sitting and listening. If you've got any questions at any point, any notes, drop them in the chat. Um, and we actually love to have people on camera too, to share their questions, their thoughts. So if you do have a question, drop it at any moment, uh, producer Ben, 
the man behind the scenes pulling the strings, keeping the lights on. He'll DM you to see if you're comfortable jumping on, asking you questions. If not, that is not an issue at all. But we love to see your faces as well. I'm I'm seeing some folks with the cameras on. I really appreciate that. So it doesn't feel like I'm just talking into the void. So if you feel good with your cameras on, it means a lot to me. So I appreciate that. Uh, last thing as well. I'm glad I got ahead. No one in the chat has said it yet. Yes, this will be recorded. And yes, you will get the recording. Um, we'll be doing, we'll be up in about 24 hours time, I think. That That's okay. If you're having breakfast, we, we, you don't need to be on camera. Same with you, Alina. That's all good. Um, yes, the recording will be up. The video recording will be up on our Compete Network community platform where you can access the recordings on demand. And also the audio will be up on our podcast feed. Ben, if you want to just drop the link to the podcast feed as well, for folks who haven't checked it out yet, that's where you can listen to the show after the fact. Um, and as I mentioned off the top, the recording will be on the Compete Network platform. We also have a couple other events happening in the community in March. Um, a little teaser, I believe we have a session on building a competitive newsletter with Jenny Sun. And we also have one with one of my favorites, Matt Koblenz, on how to automate your life to make your life easier as a compete pro. So those two things are also happening in the community. But if you want to drop the link as well to kind of upcoming events, free to join. Um, a lot of stuff going to happen in that community this year. Can't wait to and wait to really kick things off with that. Um, last thing, uh, we also have a resource. We're talking all things about delivering win-loss insights to your executive team today. And we're gonna kind of get into the nitty gritty with two folks that have done exactly that. But we have a template that can help you do so. And this template is customizable, make a copy, use it yourself. And it follows the formula that some of our own experts over at DoubleCheck use to engage and deliver insights to the executive team. Reina, I appreciate it. And you're awesome. And I'm glad you're with us. So with that all said, let's introduce the people you actually came here for my guests today. First off, we have Robin Welfare, the research director at DoubleCheck Research, my coworker now. That's right. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Robin has extensive experience doing exactly what we're going to talk about today, delivering win-loss insights to the execs. And she also built a win-loss program in-house as well. And we're also joined by a familiar face. I think he might just be the co-host now. I haven't formally popped the question yet, but he kind of, I ping him and he says, yeah, fine. I'll do this. Adam, can you just stop bugging me? It's Brandon Bedford, the competitive enablement manager over at Clue, the man at Clue who uses Clue, um, and he runs the win-loss program in tandem with Robin as well. So they have, uh, Brandon, do you want to reveal the kind of the name around the Clue HQ about Brandon and Robin's win-loss team? Sure, yes. Um, we are, I think our unofficial nickname right now is Brandman and Robin, so... Um, you know, partners in crime, uh, compete and 
compete experts by day, win loss experts by night, perhaps? Uh, something like that. Uh, but yeah, you're never bugging me, Adam. Always, always happy to be here and part of these conversations. All right. So now we've done my spiel. We've got folks in, in attendance. I want to just kick things off with a couple questions to start with. Uh, we've got a few poll questions. Uh, ben, do you want to drop the first one? I just want to get a sense of where folks are at with their win-loss program today. Um, so, uh, if you thumbs up, if you've seen the seen the poll, um, oh, you're getting both questions. We have, yeah, where are you at with your win-loss program today? And which department head? has been most vocal for win-loss insights so far in your organization. So give a couple seconds to answer these, get a sense of where most of the folks in, in attendance are at today, and that can help us kind of lead the conversation. Ooh, heavy, heavy sales focus. Sellers wanting win-loss insights checks out to me. Um, all right, let's, I'm gonna share. Oh, you sharing the results there, Ben? Robin, Brandon, first things first, which department head has been most vocal for win-loss insights? You see the results there? Anything surprise you or is that checking out to what, you're, what you've seen? Seems consistent with, with our own program. Um, but yeah, curious, Robin, you've seen a, a lot more programs than I. What's, uh, what's your take there? Yeah, that looks um, pretty much aligned. I'm, I'm a little surprised to see customer success on the lower mm -hmm. side. I, I was kind of expecting to see that a little bit higher. That's really interesting to me, um, but definitely sales is usually, um, you know, a strong driver there that we tend to see quite frequently. Absolutely. All right. Thank you everyone for being a part of the poll. Let's get into some questions. So obviously when we talk about delivering, uh, your insights, what you've learned about when lost your research to execs, it, that is sort of the end portion of when lost. So I, I think we we're starting at the end here. But Robin, offline, you mentioned to me, there's a lot of things you got to do before that. We don't want to dig too much into it, but off the bat, what's one of the most important things to do first to set yourself up for success when you eventually do present when lost to execs? Yes, thank you. This is a very, very, very important question. It's very near and dear to my heart. So I feel like if we take away one thing today, please remember this, um, is that before you start any research, you need to understand what your goalpost is. Like, what's that success goalpost for you, right? And in the in the win-loss churn analysis world, that's really understanding what your learning objectives are. So um, when I say learning objectives, I mean, like, what are the hopes and dreams for your leadership team or the stakeholders who are going to be looking at the um, information and observations and insights that you're pulling out of your program? Um, it seems really obvious to kind of say, like, sure, you have to understand what success looks like, what that goalpost is. But I can tell you that in my experience, I've seen quite a few times where either that step was missed or we've rushed through it and we don't get really clear, like crystal clear about what it is, understand the whys behind it, what impact that's going to have on the organization. And if you don't do that, it's sort of like casting this really wide net, right? And all like potentially these great nuggets of information are just going to kind of slip through. But once you really kind of fine tune what you're looking for, you're able to really provide those those meaningful results. Um, Brandon, I noticed in, I think it was a LinkedIn post you had recently, excuse me, you had mentioned some, you had a phrase and it was something like, we could have done a million things. Does it sound familiar to you? A little bit. Maybe keep going with that and make my jog my memory. 
Well, I don't I don't remember the actual post, so I apologize. But that phrase is really kind of stuck with me. And I feel like it's really relevant in our conversation today. Um, so like you could when you're thinking about a win loss program and you're starting out, you know, it's really it's really easy to get excited and think, oh, we're going to start like we're just going to set a net out there, get as many interviews as we can. And we'll just share those results with the team. Um, but my, I urge you all to not start with the million things, like really get crystal clear on what those stakeholders want to know, and then use those as your guide, your compass, if you will, to, to build your research materials and really steer your program. I think what it's coming back to me now. Sorry, I'll, I'll just chime in. I think I, I'm, I'm recalling the post. It was about like prioritization. I think it applies to win loss, but it also applies to, I'm assuming a lot of product marketers here that have a lot of different priorities and by you know, that learning objective step, I think, is so critical and, you know, really sifting through a menu of a dozen or a hundred different things that you could look for in a win-loss program and choosing the the key things that you not just you care about, but your executives care about. So um, I know, like, for our own program, uh, which obviously, Robin, you, you've been instrumental in helping us uh, build from the ground up, like, that initial step um, was so critical in the, the rest of the program being a success. What are, yeah, I think what, are some of the, what are some of the questions that you, you two ask then? You mentioned like you need to hone in. So what are some of the examples people in attendance can go and take themselves to ask their executives to dial in from, we could do everything, we could boil the ocean to like, these are the things we really actually want to learn. Right. So the first step is engaging with your stakeholders, right? And we do see a lot of times that that doesn't happen. So make sure you're engaging with them. Um, ask them questions about, you know, what are, what are their hopes and dreams? Why the heck are we doing this when loss or churn analysis program? Understand, and then put your curiosity hat on, right? You got to dress for the occasion and you need to ask them why. Like, why is this important? What impact is this going to have on the organization? And what are we going to do with that information or observations um, when we get them? So I think it's just really, you know, thinking about those five whys, if you will, like really peeling back that onion to understand what those impacts are. And you're ultimately understanding like what they want to know. So when you end up getting to your exec summary stage or you've closed your sample and you're sharing the results, it's going to really hit home because you're exact. You're hitting on exactly what they want to know. Yeah, I'll I'll maybe just uh, piggyback on that to to your point, Robin. Like I think the questions are almost less important than actually just doing it at all. Um, and I think you kind of uh, you, you said it in a slightly different way, Robin. But I think it's the same message that just by engaging our executives as step one in our program, it brought them to the table so that when we had results from our first win loss cohort. They knew what to expect and they were already kind of bought into the program. So, you know, I would almost, you know, maybe it's just a, you know, hot take, typical hot take brand in here. Uh, but the questions are actually less important than just asking some questions at the initial stage of the program because you're getting that buy in from executives um, so that they know that, hey, we're doing this thing. This is going to be impactful. Tell me what's impact most impactful for you so that we can we can deliver on it. And I'd also offer like the alternative, right? So say you do cast your net wide and you don't take this first step, um, which again, I urge you not to do. Um, but if you did, I think that when you go to share the data, you're going to hear things like, well, this is really interesting, but like, what do I do with this? And how do I make sense of all of this? Like, what, what impact am I going to make for the team or the organization? I think there's a lot of questions, more questions that come out of it than inspiration, if you will. And I think that you can kind of use that as like a meter as you're sharing what's coming out of your program to really understand, are you hitting on those learning objectives or not? I think, uh, so there was a question from Jane. I think she's got like a little eye on my own question sheet here because this kind of dovetails into mine. And 
maybe maybe it is from what I'm hearing from you both like a bit more of a case by case basis. But she wanted to some examples of like what could these typical learning objectives be when you when you're engaging your executives. Uh, so typical learning objectives. So we we kind of when we think about when loss, we're running through sort of like the evaluation journey of the buyer. So, for example, you want to understand everything from their challenges to how they're thinking about different vendors and solutions, how they're thinking about your product and solutions. So when you're thinking about that um, framework, you might have a lot of curiosity on a product you're launching and you're like, hey, we want to really test and see, like, is this really resonating or is the messaging resonating? We may have a big turnover in our sales team. So we want to understand, like, are they really being effective in their communications? How are those demo experiences? Are they really resonating with the buyer? Um, I could go on and on and on about different learning objectives, but it's really, I guess my advice would be like when you're talking with your leadership team and those stakeholders, understanding what the corporate strategy is and then really aligning with that. How has that been in your experience, Brandon, running win-loss from scratch, like starting this up for context as well, folks, um, building our win-loss program. How long have we had the win-loss program over at Clue in, in, in play? Well, we're coming up on a year, I think. I think it was around, I want to say, April of last year when we uh, kind of officially uh, engaged DoubleCheck for the first time and kind of uh, courted each other, if you will. Um, but prior to that, and I think this might resonate with anyone that's like, kind of trying to do win-loss on the side of their desk. Like, prior to that, we were doing win-loss interviews, but they were incredibly ad hoc, right? You know, a sales rep or a you know, customer success manager on the renewal side would say, hey, Brandon, or they'd ping my director, Jason Oakley, for uh, many of you, many of you would know. Um, hey, Oakley, like we have this prospect that we won or lost against, and they're open to an interview. Would you like to interview them? And so it was very one-off. There was no structure around it. There were no learning objectives. Uh, there was no engagement with other stakeholders. And then we would get some, perhaps a couple of interesting nuggets. But to Robin's point, you know, it doesn't really go anywhere. Maybe it gets stored somewhere in Clue or in a document. Uh, whereas now we have kind of a structured program where executives have said, hey, we're looking for XYZ when it comes to product feedback. We're looking for XYZ when it comes to sales process feedback or pricing feedback, et cetera. And so now we have this kind of roadmap, if you will, for the program as it gets built out. That makes sense. And I believe as well, there is sort of this uh, this coverage map, which can kind of give you a long look on different learning objectives you could potentially be looking for it's on um double checks website actually under their solutions page so if you want to check that out too if there's just some examples of the learning objectives you could be going for um that can probably spark some conversation as well there's a few other questions in here and again and people are getting my questions before even i do so i love this and i'll start i'll start with my own question robin about sort of the next process around spotting trends and kind of digging through sort of the quantitative and qualitative data as someone who's doing this a double check for customers what does that process look like for you so um i i guess i'd like to kind of just preface this with a bit of a journey if i can to kind of put it into perspective this is really how i think about it and i think it also answers this question that I get asked a lot, which is, you know, should I be sharing things as they're bubbling up or should I be waiting until the end to share this information? So let me just take you on a quick journey. Um, a few years ago, I came across this really great data influencer. Um, he's just very passionate about data. His name is Brent Dykes. Um, if you have a chance to read his book, it's fabulous. Um, effective data storytelling, really great guy. 
Um, he had an article in Forbes magazine a few years ago, and he talked about this data journey. <clears throat> and it really kind of hit home for me. And it's really how I think about our win-loss journey too. So just really quickly to put it into perspective, he talks about four steps in the journey. So you've got data and you've got information, and then you have observations. And then the last piece of it is where the magic happens, right? Is the actionable insights. And when you think about um, putting that, like let's just give an example. I think in his article, he was talking about Fitbit, right? So your data is the steps you're doing every day. Your information is being able to look at a dashboard and say, oh, look, here's, here are all my steps. An observation could be, hey, last week I did 18,000 and today I did X amount, right? But I just want to kind of say like, those aren't, those aren't actionable insights. That's just part of the data journey. And I, and I find a lot of win-loss programs kind of end there and they don't get to that juicy um, actionable insights piece. You can tell I'm getting, I'm a little bit passionate about this. I'm um, so, but the, where the real juice of this is, is really getting to those actual insights. So when you compare that to win-loss, you've got your data, which are your reports, you're seeing, you know, your data bubbling, maybe you have a dashboard, or maybe you're looking, um, at some, qua some qualitative in a quantitative way, if you will. But where the real magic happens is starting with those observations. So you're able to like create stories about what you're seeing and add context to it. Again, we just talked a lot about learning objectives. You need to be able to apply that to the data as it's coming in. Again, adding that context. And then eventually over time, you're able to make those um, actionable insights, right? And you can only do that by like really digging in and understanding what those learning objectives um, are. So I think this was like a long-winded way of saying like, yes, heck, Yes, connect your people, your stakeholders to the data as it's happening, but be really mindful of what you're communicating. So if it's a piece of data or report, make sure you frame it in that way versus an observation, which is like, hey, this is something that we're seeing. We're not quite done doing the analysis, but we think this is interesting to know versus we've done our sample and we're really confident here and here's what we can do about it. Brandon, this, this is a good, interesting conversation, I think, as well, like shit framing. Win-loss isn't just a series of interviews. It's not just looking through CRM data. It's sort of like a culmination of the law, like this combination of quantitative, qualitative, and then being able to, like you said, make that magic and deliver actual, actual insights from all of these different kind of signals that you're hearing. Brandon, has it been, in your example with Clue right now, has it been anything you've noticed kind of connecting those dots? Yeah, like, I guess the, I, I, t I totally hear you in terms of like qualitative and quantitative. And then to Robin's point, uh, it's one thing to kind of map them together. It's it's a whole other thing to get turn that into an actionable insight. And again, not to uh, beat a dead horse too much, but those learning objectives of what helps you find those paths to something that can be actionable. You know, if I were to come up with like a hypothetical scenario here, right? You know, not from our own Clue program necessarily, but, you know, let's say, you know, through your win-loss program, you find out that you're winning a lot in the enterprise or up market and you want to dig into that, that then will direct uh, perhaps your program entirely. Maybe you're going to ask different questions and that's what's going to get you actionable insights for, say, your enterprise team, your, maybe your sales team or your product teams, what have you. But without that, you are kind of a rudderless ship. And so again, not to keep coming back to the learning objectives, but I think it's super critical. And then maybe to to segue to your question and how I think that relates to like the qualitative to quantitative, I think that, you know, how do I put this? The, the depth of the interview, uh, the depth of insight from a win-loss interview is so powerful 
But if you don't have that structure, you'll you'll miss out on a lot of the depth, right? And and you know we talk about this a lot when we think about win loss programs. I think a lot of win loss programs get started with CRM data, right? You have kind of high quantity, you know, very quantitative data, but perhaps low quality, right? It's it's sales reps that are self-reporting uh, that obviously has data issues there inherently. Um, oftentimes data is missing. You know, you don't have necessarily good data in CRM, but you do have a large sample size, right? You could have dozens, hundreds, thousands of opportunities in your CRM, but that depth of insight that you get from a win-loss interview, that you're going to find things that you wouldn't have found by going through a million CRM deal notes. Um, and I think it's that marriage of the two is where you could maybe hypothesize using some CRM data. But even then, like I, I would even just caution people from doing that, you know, and, and just banking on that because through these interviews, you're going to find things that you didn't expect. And I, I think that comes from the depth of an interview that, you know, you could, you know, maybe you get lucky and you find some, you know, great nugget in CRM, but more than likely you're going to, you're going to have that quantity, but you're not going to have that that kind of quality there. Yeah, I think um, using your CRM is maybe a guide that maybe you look at to kind of understand where you're, you know, where you're going to turn, but I wouldn't lean on it as heavily as as doing the qual and the quant together. Um, and again, like using them together is very powerful, right? One adds, like your qualitative adds this deep, rich context. It really helps paint the picture. And I think I'd also be remiss to say like, it doesn't, it, without that, you're not bringing the buyer's voice to the table. So like the CRM data that you have is very much from the shoes of your internal organization and it's not in the shoes of your buyer and the mindset of your buyer, right? And that's really important. You want to build the empathy with your buyer base and really understand from their perspective how they're thinking about it. That's the whole point of win-loss. Totally. If I, if I could add one last thing, Adam, I know you're trying to get us to the next oh, question, but good. this is kind of, it sounds like it's off topic, but I promise it's it's relevant. A uh, shout out to Daniel Frank on our, our legal team who recommended this book to me called Super Forecasting, which talks about how different types of people will look at data in different types of ways. And when you think of, you know, the pundits that, you know, become famous, you know, anchors in, in the news, it's typically not because they're good at taking in lots of different types of input. It's because they see the world in a certain way and it, you know, that that sells to their audience. And the analogy he uses in the book, the author talks about is like, imagine like in the Wizard of Oz, putting on those green tinted glasses, you see everything as green. There was no Emerald City, but you see everything as green. And so by relying on CRM data, you're looking at all of your win-loss data through the lens of your own company, through the lens of your own sales team, your own customer success team. And they might be onto something, but like that is still a win. Don't get me wrong to get inputs from your revenue teams, but they could be missing something entirely because they see everything through the lens of your own, your own company. And so I, I think I use, I've been thinking about it, of that analogy a lot as it pertains to win loss, because we're all wearing glasses that are tinted uh, with the shade of our own company and our own point of view. And um, having that win-loss insight, especially from a third party that can be neutral, is super powerful in, you know, taking off those glasses. Can I ask you a question uh, regarding this? This is exactly like what I'm kind of struggling with right now, right? Because I'm trying to work off of the data, right? Uh, like the CRM data. And, and sales and solution engineers, they're, they're very busy. So sometimes those fields don't get, you know, filled in, you know, completely you know, a hundred percent. Right. And, and, um, it, it makes it a bit difficult. Right. But, but, but the part about the interviews is how do you go to a, an exec, right. And say, 
I've even done 20, 30, 40, 50 interviews, right? And this is what I, you know, this is what the, the, the data that I'm getting or the sentiment that I'm getting, right? And how do you respond to something from that C level that says, you know, this is not a big enough sample, right? We need, and we're looking for those hundreds of data points, so, you know, or, or whatever, right? Because the main goal for, for me, for example, is, you know, which competitors are we winning and losing against the most and, and why, like, what's the reason for it, right? So I guess, how do you overcome those things? Sure. And sorry, just to, how does that tie into the CRM data piece of that? I just want to make sure I have clarity there. So you're, you, you shared sort of your two main learning objectives and then with the CRM data, just like, just repeat that just so I'm crystal clear on that. So on the opportunity level, uh, we have like a field that's called com like competitor, right? So if a competitor comes up during that opportunity, it gets filled in and then I can track how many, you know, which competitors are being talked about in which opportunity. And I, then I can filter on closed loss, closed one, and you also have a deal lost reason attached to it, right? Sometimes these things are not, you know, filled to the best level of accuracy. And, but this is what I'm relying on the most, right? Um, so that, that's how it ties in. Right. And then your, your question is about how you present the data to the leadership team and they're, they're questioning the sample size. Am I understanding that right? Yeah. Like how do you overcome the fact that, you know, the amount of interviews that you can do, right, um, may only give you like a small picture as to what's actually happening amongst all of these closed lost opportunities, right? Like, and, and, and we've also struggled getting people to answer to have an interview after they've already closed lost, right? That, that's, that's, that's quite difficult. So the number of interviews that I can do is way smaller than the, the data set I have from the CRM data. Right. So I guess I think my answer here is, you know, when you're thinking, you're thinking about your CRM data, you've got your learning objectives, you're obviously pulling um, prospects out of your CRM to help support that program. And then depending on, I'm not sure what your sample size is, I would recommend that you're, you're going to need, you know, you're not going to be able to pull one or two and do an interview and be able to draw some trend analysis there. You're going to need a, a much bigger sample. Um, our recommendations usually you need you need ten at least and the same very clear cohorts right you need to make sure in this particular case they're all with that competitor they have the outcome etc um, and then when you're presenting that data to the team you're just framing the sample you're saying hey we know this is a sample size of let's say ten this is what we found and we could say here's the reasons that we saw in the CRM here are the reasons that we saw from the buyers and then you can tell a story around that and and share the buyer perspective. And I think adding that, again, that buyer voice and the empathy, I think it's hard to argue that um, from a leadership perspective. Um, but Brandon, do you have any insights as we're thinking about our... It's, yeah, it's, yeah I, I totally agree with everything you said there, Robin. The other thing that maybe my brain latched onto and in, in what you mentioned there, Claude, is um, you, you kind of mentioned two learning objectives, if I heard correctly. One was which competitors are we winning and losing most against and then why? And I think the which question, you know, that that might be an example of a learning objective where actually you do want quantity, right? You want to look at CRM data and find, to, to Dustin's analogy, use that as a radar to say, okay, looking at our CRM data, we have a pretty good sense, even with low CRM data hygiene, that like this competitor is coming up more than this competitor. But it's the why type questions or um, you know how come type, type questions that I think the interview is just unparalleled to what a sales rep is going to put in. So I appreciate the question because it does... Uh, I, not that this, I don't want this to sound like it contradicts what I said earlier, but to take it with a grain of salt, depending on your learning objective, because if your learning objective is to get a sense of, you know, out of a large sample size, 
who we're losing against, then of course you do want a larger sample size. In terms of addressing the pushback, I think the the piece that Robin mentioned that I'd highlight is um, narrowing the sample size. So if you have a sample size of 10, that could be really valuable if they're all say enterprise clients and they're all in North America and they're all of a certain you know buyer persona. But if you have 10 and one's an enterprise company, one's a mom and pop shop, one's a software company, one's a pharma company, that's going to be less valuable. And so that again, comes back to kind of how you're, you know, the answer kind of starts in how you're beginning the program, if that makes sense. I, I, I'm going to, I have a question as well for you, for you, Claude, in terms of the, how you're presenting that qualitative, those qualitative stories, I think, um, I know one thing that was powerful for me when Brandon shared our win losses, sure. It's a sample size of 10, but sh- there was like the trends that Robin and Brandon shared, but then one thing that was impactful was just actually getting the snippets of 10 different interviews saying the same thing on like why we won these deals in this specific segment. And granted, 10 is a lot less than 200. But when you hear someone saying it over and over again, that element for me kind of was like, oh, this is this is more impactful. It like sticks in a different way than just the numbers alone. I know you ha- kind of have to have both. Yeah. And then just to add to that, it's, it's again, not just that surface, like we're not taking the okie doke, right? Like we're not saying, oh, why did, why did we win or lose over this competitor and say, okay, we're digging in and we're peeling that onion back and we're getting to those five whys. And when you get into those whys and they're all the same, that's pretty powerful content. Yeah. And just to paint the picture here, just to, to give Robin full credit for, for what she did in our program. So, um, Again, imagine a cohort of 10 interviews. And to your point, Claude, I think it's, it's you know, sample size of 10, 20, even you mentioned, I think 40, 50, you know, there might be some criticism around sample size. If you were to come in and say eight out of 10, you know, chose the competitor for X, Y, Z reason. But what Robin, <clears throat> excuse me, what Robin did was she took snippets from the interviews and, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, um, and created a little compilation video and then shared that live with our executive team. And so hearing eight times in a row, physically, like literally from the um, the buyer's mouth um, in, in a single video was really, uh, really impactful and landed way more than just saying, you know, eight out of 10. <clears throat> Brad, go get some water. <laughs> uh, thank you, Colin. I really appreciate it. That's a great question. And that was, um, yeah, I love that one. Um, Alina also had a similar question and it was more on that t- kind of like, deriving insights i think we talked about uh a couple like about 10 minutes ago around like you've got all of these different signals all of this different information but how do you drive it into insights and alina had a question on that topic you want to jump on alina yeah sure thanks for for taking the question uh mine was specifically uh robin you mentioned that in your earlier words uh you spoke about evaluating demo conversations or it just you know i imagine generally sales calls, um, that is, you know, even with the tools, I'd really love to hear how you approach it, both from a practical standpoint in terms of collecting the data, analyzing the data and drawing the insight. Um, just for me, I find it like the most kind of, um, let's say time consuming and, and effort heavy, um, part of. Uh, both win laws, but you know, CI work in general. And I'm just, uh, I guess, looking for tips. Yeah, that was a great question. I, a question for you before I answer um, is, you know, you mentioned that the sales piece was more challenging for you than I'm assuming on a, a different part of that puzzle. Is, am I understanding that correctly? 
Um, or is it overall? I mean, uh, I think CRM data is pretty straightforward. Um, you know, and anything that's kind of, uh, let's say written or shared, um, and, and kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, is in the company folders in one way or another is, is the easy part. That's something that we, you know, you can go through pretty easily. A lot of it, you can also, um, you know, ingest in large quantities, but in terms of, uh, you know, following up and even with tools like Gong and, you know, Chorus, Wingman, whatever, um, I just wonder if, if, you know, how you use those in, in your, uh, in your win loss. And if you have any tips on how to, to approach that in, in a, in a kind of smart, more efficient way. Yeah. No, that's like, thank you for clarifying. I appreciate it. Um, so I guess the, the way I'd like to answer that is, you know, the gong and other resources, those are other ways to strengthen data that you're pulling from your win loss program. So if I use your sales example, right? So say you want to Maybe your learning objective is understanding how efficient you are in the sales process. So you're going to make sure you add, ask a lot of questions about that in a win loss interview, but you're also going to have a lot of questions really fine tuning that experience in a survey as well. So again, you're coupling your qualitative, your quantitative data together. And then from there, once you're developing that story, you're past, like you're in the observation stage, you're adding context to that data. That's when you can start bringing in your other resources like Gong, like, hey, and here's, we have this call that we can use to support this, et cetera. Um, that's how I would use those sort of supplemental um, resources to help support your went loss return program. Is that helpful? Does that answer your question? Sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you would uh, treat it like uh, you would interviews, like, um, small sampling, uh, kind of a, a special treatment. Uh, but yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Brandon, do you have a, a, a take on that as well? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I think um, the thing that I think of too is if I understood what you're saying there, Lena, like there's the kind of customer interview, but then there's also this kind of rich uh, data in these call recording tools where you can hear not only the uh, buyers take, but also how maybe your sales team is presenting. I think that's, there's an actually an opportunity there to partner with the sales organization, whether that's, you know, individual sales reps or sales managers or sales enablement, because I think that's going to align pretty closely to a lot of their goals as well. And, um, you know, that goes back obviously to learning objectives, but th with that specific example, I think, you know, your win-loss program might identify, you know, some feedback around the sales process that could then be a conversation starter to, to work closer with sales enablement. Um, and again, I know every organization is structured a little bit differently, but uh, I would imagine those stakeholders are spending a lot of time in those tools already. And so as opposed to you having to kind of start again from scratch and, you know, sift through Gong or Chorus and look for those those call recordings yourself, you could kind of uh, partner with them and, and they might already have started to form a picture of where the the team needs to improve certain skill sets um and you can kind of uh marry your findings with them thank you for that question elena i really appreciate that that's this is a good conversation going i want to pivot a little bit to sort of this like storytelling element like how do you actually deliver this to exactly so i think we've talked about finding meaningful trends what identifying the key learning objectives but there's also like there's an art to how you actually deliver this to your stakeholders in a way that's going to stick with them and drive change or not necessarily always drive change, but uh, make an impact on like decisions that are being made. So Robin, do you have any tips in terms of like condensing all of this information, all of these trends 
into a consumable format or story for your executive team? So number one, start with your learning objectives. I'm sorry, guys, but it, it's you really need to start there. This is why they signed up for the win-loss program. So if you're not covering those, we're not we're not going to be delivering an effective program. So make sure you cover those. So what I like to do is start with the learning objective as your core, and then I build a story around it. And you can even think of it as like building a story or a script, right? Like you've got your characters and you've got challenges and they're building up to a climax. Like what is, what is that tipping point where they start looking for a new solution? Um, you can build it like a story. And you're it, within the story, you're, t you're taking your stakeholders on this sort of um, buyer evaluation journey, if you will. So as you're doing this, you're creating empathy. You're really putting your buyer's experience out there for, your cons for the stakeholders, rather, to really listen to and engage with. Um, but you're sprinkling in the other information along the way to really tell the story around those learning objectives. Um, you also want to make sure you understand, you know, is your, are your stakeholders, are they very formal? Are they very informal? Like, how do you present that data? Are they very data-driven and they need to see all of the numbers? Um, you obviously can, su can support that in charts, but also in the appendix as well. Um, or are they more uh, collaborative and conversational and want to have a conversation about the findings? You really need to understand who those, who those stakeholders are, what their interests are, and then how they consume um, information. That's where I would start. Um, so in the case that um, Adam shared, um, you know, videos are really great. I find that videos are underutilized in a way to share information. I think in our today's world, we're all pivoting at a rapid pace. And if you can have a short snippet that really hones in on that learning objective and tells the story, I think that's really powerful. And then you can tell the story around it based on your other findings. Brandon, how's that being in the case of Clue? You did you yeah. doing this with a Clue tech? I mean, I can obviously only really speak for for our own program, but I'll just maybe share an anecdote to to uh, kind of emphasize that point that Robin made, which is uh, when we do our executive summary readout, which is where um, you know if you leverage the template that we shared earlier, uh, you could you know build this out yourself. But that's really summarizing those trends into kind of that storyboard format. Um, when Robin presented that initially to our executive team, we had booked an hour in their calendars. And let me tell you, finding one hour in a bunch of executives' calendars is is quite the uh, the Tetris uh, game. Um, it ended up going an hour over that, um, and most executives stayed on. And so now we actually booked two hours aside. And again, not every team is going to be like that, um, but you know that was something we re recognized from the very first readout. Okay, our team likes to talk, likes to discuss things, and really, you know, collaborate and almost debate real time versus just kind of taking it all in and taking notes. So now we we set aside two hours for the executive summary readout. Um, so yeah, RIP their calendars, but yes. <laughs> How do you make the most out of your time with them then, as well? When you get into that room, Robin, Brandon, Robin, you've done this many, many times. You have a broader sample size of Brandon's a one, but like it would be really interesting to see. Yeah, there's you have a finite amount of time or opportunity to deliver this all of this information to your executive team, and how are you making the most out of the time you have with them? Right. So I think the first thing is the partnership that you have with your program leader. So in this case, Brandon and Jason Oakley were our program leaders, and I leaned on them heavily to make sure 
Number one, they, they understood what was coming. So connecting them to the program as it's bubbling and as the information's, as the data is growing, right? Making sure that they're really connected to that and then making sure they feel enabled to share that internally at the organization. So number one rule here is that you never want to go to an exec summary and surprise your program leaders with some findings. If that's happening, I think we need to kind of back it up and, and figure out why. You always want to make sure they're connected to that, that data, right? Um, and then... You know, from our from my experience, spending maybe 15 minutes talking through the story with some slides. Obviously, there's an appendix there. We have all the information if someone wants to dig in. But this is really just about telling the story and then opening it up for conversation. Like, hey, was this a surprise to you? Um, like, as we're talking through the the nitty gritty and we're peeling back those whys, like, was any of this really interesting? Where can we dig in and um, dig our heels in and even find, you know, in a different sample, an additional sample rather, like how can we build on this data and make it even more meaningful? And I think that's sort of, you know, we're here, we're all here to talk about a meaningful exec presentation. And I think it's, it's bringing all that in a consumable way, but then also understanding like, how can we make, how can we grow this into something even better? Yeah. And again, I'll just disclaimer before I speak here that this is, again, anecdotal based on just our program. But I know, Adam, you had asked me, both of us before uh, the CE Live, like, um, how do you kind of prep the execs beforehand? And honestly, my answer is I don't. And so I want to clarify what Robin said there, like making sure the program owners, myself and Oakley, know what to expect so that we can help, you know, massage and manage the conversation. But the other senior leaders, I don't want to spoil the ending for them, right? Like there's this whole story that's gone into how these findings were received. Like I almost think of it as a as a thriller movie in a sense, you know, I'm a big fan of psychological thrillers. I don't want to I don't want to just send them the Wikipedia article and, and show them exactly how the movie ends. And so I actually don't prep them very much. I might give them a bit of a teaser, right? I'll, I want to provide them enough of an agenda so that they know what we're talking about. Like, hey, we're discussing XYZ cohort. Here's what we focus on this cohort, but I'm not spoiling the surprise so that, you know, Robin can really effectively tell the story and say, voila, here's, here's, was, here were our big findings. What is your reaction to that? And so I think, um, yeah, just wanted to share again, just from our experience, I don't know if that would work in every program, but I think that's how I, I kind of think about approaching it for our own team. And then I think too, another, and, uh, like as far as the style goes, you know, sometimes you want to share those the, the answers to those learning objectives in the beginning, right? You want to say, here's what you wanted to know. Here's what we found. But let, let's just pause a second and take you back through the journey so that they have the answer in their head and now they're connecting it throughout that journey. But then there's going to be other times when you might have some stakeholders that have a really strong bias and they're really confident, right? And the research has come out and we're like, mm, actually, we're finding something different. We're, we're very confident in the data that we have. Sometimes it's better to take them on the journey. And then when you get to that piece where that bias exists, it's like hit them with it, right? Because now they've built this empathy and they're like, yep, we're good. We're expecting this to happen. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. And then just really bring it home. Like give the, give some strong data pieces, do that video to really like, again, connect them to the buyer. Um, so two different kind of styles that I use, if that's helpful. I love that. I love it. Kind of you, rather than coming in right away, like I disagree with your take. That immediately puts people on the defensive and you kind of become more entrenched. But if you lead to this, you're pretty much building like the logical reason as to why this is the actual win reason, loss reason, whatever that finding may be. Um, and again, I think whenever you mention this, Rob, you say that empathy of the buyer's journey, like really just the purpose of this is to give a lens into um, 
what the buyer's gone through throughout that whole sales process. Um, what about putting this stuff into action? I think we delivered this to executives. You have this great conversation. You reveal maybe some insights, but how does that actually get put into their work? How do we make sure that functional leaders and subsequently like their departments are taking the information that comes to them on a quarterly, biannual basis um, and actually directing how the department operates? That's that's a whole nother, that's a tough task. Sure is. Um, I would say from on the researcher's side or perspective, you know, it's our job to understand what the hopes and dreams are of the program and make sure we're delivering on them. At the end of the the research sample, we'll always say, here's what we found, here's why it's important, and here's our recommendation on potential impact that you can make within the organization. But it's not my job. I don't I don't work like, well, I do work for Clue now, but pr prior to that, if there was something that came out of the program, I couldn't, you know, go hop in Brandon's shoes and take the lead on that, right? So it's a bit challenging from the research perspective because you can share this information and create some, you know, uh, excitement, if you will, or, you know, you're bringing all this information or observations, actionable insights, hopefully, to life. Um, but then your job is to really just keep reminding them of it and making sure that you're being clear about why this is important and connecting them to that data piece. Um, but right, I'm curious if you if you have the same perspective or. Yeah, I can. I think I see Ryan uh, Ryan Storley um, in the audience here. And so just to share a little quick story from our onsite. So we had our all company onsite, the whole double check team uh, came out, uh, the Toronto team flew to Vancouver. And at the onsite, uh, Ryan mentioned the analogy of like, you know, leading a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. And so I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to build on that analogy because I think it is a, it's a great analogy for like making sure the action on the insight. It's like we, we want to lead the horse to water, but also be very clear uh, around what we think might happen if you don't drink the water. Right. And I think that's where you can tie in the win loss to your compete program as an example, right? To show data to say, hey, here are competitors that we're winning or losing against. Here's our opportunity in XYZ market. We now have these findings. Let's let's drink from this water. Right. We can't again, we can't force them to take action on these things. They are ultimately the functional leaders. But I think by really painting that strong picture, we can do um we can do a lot to make it really clear around what this decision means and and just how impactful it can be um whether it's you know hey avoid this big pain in the future or or reap this this large reward i love that that's that's really great um and the other thing i would say too is how much of this data was how much of these assumptions or beliefs did your organization have without putting data behind it now you can be data driven with your win-loss program right you've got this qual and this quant data you're putting it together and you're packaging it up like data-driven versus assumptions that you're making from CRM data or just, hey, we believe this this sounds good, right? I, I'm sure that's not happening. But I just wanted to kind of hone in on the point, like the data-driven piece is important too. Uh, and Brian dropped it in the chat and it's actually a part of the template that we dropped at the start of the, the session today is that sort of, okay, it what are the action items? Who are the owners? What are the timelines? And like a baseline metric, I think, We've all been in meetings where you, there was a bunch of good stuff and then you left and realized that it was not an agreed like action plan following. And so really adding that sort of, here's what we suggest. And I'm sure throughout the conversation, there might be some agreement on this is some of the things, the actions we want to take. Yeah, exactly. Like, like a racing model. So um, I think that that's a good example you can check out in the template as well. I, okay, I've got a, there's a lot of questions from the audience and actually Raina as well before the session asked me this, and this is, 
a little separate to the delivering insights, but again, I want to touch on audience questions. Um, it's really around incentivizing interviews, particularly, I think Paige mentioned as well, sort of lost deals in particular, but Robin, Brandon, could you give some advice, especially with the folks that are starting up, how you incentivize interviews? Yes, I would. If you're starting out and you're doing this in-house, I would I would suggest start by not incentivizing. I think you might be surprised how many people might just want to share their story and be heard. If that's not successful for you, um, you know, incentivizing is a, is a great thing to do. Um, you could suggest that you would make a charitable, charitable donation on their behalf, or you could offer a certain um, amount for an incentive, especially, you know, like to your point, the losses are a little bit more challenging than the wins, right? Like the wins are like, hey, by having this conversation, we might be able to inform our experience where the losses may have moved on. And it's a little bit trickier to kind of get their attention. Um, so I would, I would, first of all, I would start without incentives. I've been successful with that in the past, but then there is a point where you're like, yes, we definitely need to think about incentivizing the program. Yeah. The only thing I, I can think of there maybe maybe slightly off topic. So I don't, I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but I think by having a more kind of personalized or warm outreach uh, can also go a really, really long way. You know, I, I, we hear from a lot of uh, programs, whether they're, you know, doing it themselves or they're leveraging some other third-party partner is they, they, they want to automate the ask sequence, right? And automate it and just say, hey, here's a $100 gift card, you know, respond to this survey, you know, insert first name. And, and don't get me wrong, it saves your team a lot of time in that kind of automated approach, but I think you will lead to um, less valuable insights that way. And I think, um, uh, at least, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is something we do for all programs, but for our own team, we have, for example, in the example of a loss, you know, yes, we lost their business, but um, they still have a relationship potentially with the sales rep that they uh, evaluated um, Clue with. And so we'll actually have the sales rep send that first touch point. It's a template that we provide, but they can add their own personal flavor um, and then um, uh, the double check team will follow up beyond that. And again, it's just, a, it's a small, seems like a small change. And yes, you do need to get, um, a, a seller to send that out, but you'll have a much better response rate. And I would think a much warmer conversation than, um, you know, a kind of templated survey, you know, that's incentivized with a hundred dollars, uh, with an Amazon gift card or something like that. And I would also say too, if you're over incentivizing, what do you think you're like, I question like what those results would look like. Are they just in it for hundred bucks or say, maybe you increase it to 200 to get, to get them to participate? Like what kind of results do they, are they going to share with you? Like what kind of insights are they going to share? Or are they just in it for the cash? Just a consideration. The amount of cash incentives I've had to take demo calls, take go intro call, all of these things. Like I, I get it and it makes sense. But at the same time, I think that's a good point, Robin, that Dejan, <laughs> you can buy my time $50 worth of coffee every day. It is a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, cheese would work right. for me, yeah. Jeez, what's the cheese that we said in you, Neil? Um, it's good to see you in here too. Um, Raina actually Raina has a good question follow up here as we're we're wrapping up. Raina mentions like what's your expected sort of reach out to response rate? I think I remember Ryan mentioning to try to increase that is lean a little bit more on your wins, maybe like a two to one ratio of start because it's probably more likelihood they'll reply. But what's typically you've seen from that? Outreach for conducting a win-loss interview to how many actually up on the line? 
I'm trying to think of a specific program that I could give you a metric for. Um, obviously, losses are a little bit more tricky. Um, and I want to say, I want to say we have like a, is it 30%? I can't, this is, this question's catching me a little bit off guard. I apologize. Um, so on the double check side, um, we have a dedicated team to help support the process and we've we lean very heavily. Oh, good. I got it right. Thanks, Ryan. 30% loss, 60% win. Um, but we, we lean very heavily on what we call our customer success team and they manage all of the reaching out to targets and, um, making sure that we secure those, those interviews. Um, so that is very much in their, um, wheelhouse and I apologize. I didn't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, that's, um. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point though, that it's not going to be perfect. You're not every single person you're going to reach out to isn't going to reply, but with that kind of benchmark data in mind, you can have, kind of have a idea Reina, in terms of, okay, maybe, I'm, maybe there's something I can improve to get response rates up because mine are a little yeah. bit lower than what we're seeing today. And maybe consider other things like, are these relevant? Um, like how recent were they? Did they close recently or, or quite a long time ago? If, if it's the latter, they're probably not going to be, um, apt to signing up for that. Um, so just make sure they're, you know, I think our recommendation is within 90 days of close of making a decision rather. So keep that in mind as well. For sure. The time on this aspect. Okay. We're coming up on the top of the hour here. So Brandon, Robin, thank you so much for joining me. Folks that hopped on, anyone asking questions, anyone for just taking the time this morning to join us. I really, really, really appreciate it. Kicking off CE Live in 2023 with a bang. Recordings will be out tomorrow on the community platform with Compete Network and also the audio version on the podcast feed. So check your inbox. Everything will be over there. And if you have any other follow-up questions, things you don't think are answered or you want to dive into more, reach out to myself, reach out to Brandon, Robin. Um, I'm assuming all on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way for us. And we're happy to we love to do kind of post-mortem podcast episodes where we answer some more follow-up questions that we couldn't get to today. So don't be a stranger, reach out to us and we'll catch you all next month. Thank you all. Robin, Thank Granite, you. you're the best.